Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. Today we are uh, beginning a new journey through the story, which is 31 weeks uh, of a journey through the Bible. And uh, it was Oak Hills Church in San Antonio that first went through this, uh, this curriculum, and many churches have been through it since then, and I'm excited for what it will do for us. Just this week, our kids, our family, we were around the dinner table, and uh, it was chapter one of the story that we read uh, around the table, and each one kind of took a turn reading a page, and I want to encourage you, uh, I'm grateful to have the kids in the room this morning who are here, uh, often you all in, in children's worship, but it's a blessing to have you in here. And I want you reminding your parents about this in the coming weeks, because this is an opportunity for families to engage together, to be reading through the story of Scripture. And so this story will not get through every single story that's in there. It's not every word of the Bible, but it, it takes us through 31 weeks of basically journeying through the narrative and getting to see the meta-narrative, the, the entire arc of Scripture in a pretty powerful way. And so I'm excited uh, to begin that this morning. And if you didn't get a chance to read or you haven't picked up your copy of the story, it's possible we have a few that are still left out in the West Lobby after service. Uh, but uh, you can find those online. We'd still encourage you to register online at greenvelokes.org if you haven't done that yet. But we're excited to begin chapter one this week. And then next week, we'll ask you to read chapter two in advance for that Sunday coming up. But if, if you don't have your story Bible with you, if you have your Bible on your phone or, or with you, we'd love for you to open up to the book of Genesis. And I'll read in just a moment from Genesis chapter 1 as we enter into the story of creation and uh, through the, the flood story as well this morning. Well, many of us find ourselves in different places when it comes to the Bible. Uh, many of us uh, in this church have read through the Bible before, and so these will be stories that we've heard before that we're re-engaging. Others of us, we may have read it in the past, but it's collected a lot of dust on our shelf over the last few years, and so it's time to dust that off and get back to it. For others, some of these stories may uh, remind you of, of VBS growing up, or maybe a grandmother or parents that passed on these stories of faith to you. And for others, this may be your first time opening the Bible. But no matter where you are, we trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to you exactly what you need. And believe this journey is going to be great for our church uh, together. And so we want to welcome you. I want to begin with prayer as we open uh, in God's Word this morning. God, we thank you for this story, the story of Scripture, the story of the Bible that invites us into a life uh, that is uh, connected to you and connected to your people, the church, and that makes a difference on your mission in the world. God, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity it is to, uh, to see people in the room here this morning. And yet I know many are online, God, continuing and uh, 
uh, wishing they could be back to normal. And so, God, in the midst of wherever we find ourselves this morning, I know that you can meet us in whatever place we're in. No matter how dark it may be or how joy-filled this week has been, we each need uh, things that sustain us, that fill us up. And so I ask this morning that you would pour through me the gift of preaching, uh, the gift of storytelling, so that Christ would be formed in our hearts this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, the story begins where every novel begins, in chapter 1. If you're anything like me, when you open a new novel, it can be a little disorienting, right? I mean, if there's excitement about the story that's ahead, about what you've heard others who've passed on that book to you, but you're trying to figure out, okay, who is the character in this story? What perspective is the story told from? Where's the setting? What date did this happen? All those things are things in chapter 1 that I'm trying to figure out when I open a book or a novel. The same thing's true when we come to Scripture, and gratefully, chapter 1, page 1 of the story, actually gets us right in to those questions with some answers. Who's the main character? What's the setting? What's the perspective? Well, the main character in Scripture is God. And right in the first paragraph, we actually begin to pick up and read about His action in the world. Let's read this in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the first couple of sentences, we discover who the main character in the story is. God is the main character, and we discover the setting. It's the earth, but it's not the earth as we see it today. It's formless. It's empty. It's void. God is going to have to bring order and and bring all kinds of vegetation and animals and, and humans into this space. And so from day to day, we see that happening. God is separating the waters. He's He's putting things in the night sky. He's creating all the animals and, and all, all of that. We discover that the setting is this earth that's dark. Uh, there's chaos. It's not as we would hope it would be. And maybe we look at our lives and we can see some connections to that. Because often in my life, I've felt the same thing. It feels chaotic sometimes. It can feel dark in our lives sometimes. Sometimes we make turns away from the light and where God wants us. And so that's where we find this story beginning is darkness, formlessness, emptiness. And in in the midst of that chaos, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And this act of creation is about to begin. So God creates out of the darkness, and the Spirit of God is present, going about the work of creation. And for six days, God steps back from the creation that He does. And each day, He says the same refrain, the same phrase. And God saw that it was good. It's poetic. Good is this this beat to the poem that Genesis 1 is sharing with us. It's, it's like a, a, the, the hip-hop beat behind the words that are about to come. Of Each day it's a little different, but it comes back to it and says it was good what was created. Don't, don't you have moments when you're in creation? Maybe over the last six months this is uh, something that's emerged for you more and more as you stepped out in just to have a walk out in the neighborhood is a gift. Just to be in creation away from the isolation of your home, right? Those are great moments. And in those moments, I don't know about you, for me, I've connected with God. I've been reminded of the power of God's good creation. In fact, this summer, my, my family and I, we got the chance to go on a, a national parks trip. I never did this growing up. I never got to see the Grand Canyon. All these were new places for me. And so we got to see it new just like my kids. And, and in 12 days, we went to 11 national parks and, and some of these pictures are, just take me back to these moments. The first place we went, the main park, was the, the Grand Canyon. And uh, I was excited about this, this huge hole in the ground. I was also nervous about my children who were near the edge of this hole in the ground. 
And, and I remember seeing this. And if you've ever been there, it's probably emblazoned in your mind, that picture of just this vast uh, space, this vast hole in the ground, the sunset or the sunrise you may have seen, and then the river trickling somewhere at the bottom. And then we went a, a couple of days later to Zion National Park, which was one of our favorite places. It's in the state of Utah. And uh, the same thing, it's just these vast, this vast canyon and space between the mountains with this river that's carved it all out. It's named Zion for a reason. It reminds people of almost biblical places, right? Uh, and then we went to the Grand Tetons. And I, it almost looked like fake mountains against the blue sky background that was behind it. It's just remarkable, majestic. But our, my favorite place was Yellowstone that we got to go to. It was all the bison. It was the geological features and formations I'd never seen before. I was amazed. And as I was in these parks, there was this reminder for me that nature is where I feel closest to God. And my guess is that for many of you, it's the same thing. And I hope over the last six months that you've had that experience of going to a, a nature preserve or you've had a chance to get out in nature and experience the God who has created all of that. And for five days, God creates all of this and he says it was good. But on the sixth day, that beat to the, the poem changes a bit. He creates humans and then he says, not just it was good, he says it was very good. Apparently, looking at you is better than an ocean view. It's better than seeing giraffes on the Serengeti or bison at Yellowstone Park. The God of the universe takes delight in you. Just that truth could change our lives this morning. If we would truly believe what God says about us, that we're better than even the creation around us that reminds us of God, there is something about you that you've been wonderfully made knit together in your mother's womb, and, and entering into the world, there's a goodness to us. Now, the world doesn't begin with original sin. It begins with original blessing. You already have the approval of the God of the universe. And yet so many of us, what are we doing? We're grinding every single day to justify ourselves, to build our identity on different things that we, we do that are external to us, when intrinsically who we are is already from the beginning wonderfully made. It was very good. If we could just come to believe what God says about us, it would change everything. And not only are humans described as very good, in, the, in addition, humans are described as being created in the image of this creative God. Genesis 1.26 is a revolutionary verse. Let me read it to you. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You know, as Americans who live in the 21st century, I think we take this kind of thing for granted sometimes. And that is that America inscribed in our founding documents that the belief that every human being is created equal and that we have been endowed with our creator by unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, that was revolutionary in the 18th century. These people are leaving the oppression of kings and and not being seen as equal to those who are in power at that time. But today, it's just the water we drink. It's the air we breathe. It's the country that's been here for so long. Now, we, we still have things to do to live up to the ideals that are in those founding documents. But those words written in the Declaration of Independence were the very foundation that later on Martin Luther King Jr. would use these words to hold America and its uh, people to the promises that were made in these founding documents. You can't deny that these ideas written on paper by our founders were extraordinary and groundbreaking for their time. 
Everything we know about democracy and the beauty of our country is actually founded on this idea in Genesis 1.26 that every human being is created in the image of God. Yes, even the Washington football team fans are created in God's image, as hard as that is for us to admit. All 7 billion people plus on the earth are created in the image of God. If we truly believe that deep down, it would change everything in our world. Now, there are other ancient cultures around uh, when the creation story is written that are telling stories about how the world came into existence. There's the Epic of Gilgamesh. There's the Enuma Elish. And these other stories, they talk about the gods who are far off, right? They're these gods that live somewhere else, and they create humans as their workers on the earth, as their minions, their pawns. And, and they're angry at these humans. And it's the job of humans to appease these gods, to, to make sacrifices, even up to sacrificing their own children. To make sure these gods aren't angry so that life can go on. That's not how the creation story is told in the story, in the Bible. You know, these humans, they're created as very good. They're created in the image of God. They have intrinsic value. You remember the first time that you stepped foot in a massive stadium growing up? Or maybe AT&T Stadium here in Dallas-Fort Worth. I remember the first time that I took a tour through that place. And I looked up and I just thought, my first thought was... How do you put that first you know, beam in the ground? How do you lay the foundation for something like that? How, how do you begin a project this massive and this big? And I walked in and was on a tour, and I got the chance to walk around the mezzanine level to see the fancy areas I wouldn't ever get a seat to later on. And, and then we even got to go into Jerry's Perch, Jerry Jones' suite there at, at one point on the tour. And then we got to go on the ground. We had a football with us, and so my friends, we all threw the football and got carpet burns or whatever as we were diving for footballs thinking we were, we were something. But we got a chance after that to go into the Cowboys locker room. And when we were in the locker room, I was looking around at those lockers, just amazed the names I saw. They even had uh, DeMarcus Ware's shoulder pads and his helmet right there on the bench. This was obviously pre-COVID, right? And, uh, and, and I got to put those shoulder pads on, just the, how massive those pads were. I remember thinking, this is a remarkable experience. And then behind the tour guide as she was talking about all that was there. And in fact, the stadium, it's crazy. $40 million is how much just the video boards alone cost. The original Cowboy Stadium in Irving was $37 million for the whole thing. That's how incredible this is. Of course, there are now stadiums that are dwarfing this one, right? $5 billion, the one in L.A. But as I'm in this locker room, I'm looking around and I realize that there's this woman who comes in from uh, the outside and goes into the bathroom area in the locker room, and, and she was carrying a yellow mop bucket. And, and as she strolled past, I don't know if anyone else noticed her, but it just struck me as I was in that moment. Here we were thinking about how incredible it was, what Jerry Jones had developed, and, and in his suite, and I put on DeMarcus Ware's shoulder pads, but in the kingdom of God, that woman with the yellow mop bucket has as much value as the one who sits in the owner's suite. That God looks down and doesn't see us with favoritism of who has more, who's better, who's more righteous, or who's accumulated more wealth. They're all the same. And it struck me when I was in that locker room, that's something I never want to forget, is we don't treat people differently based on what seat they have or even if they have a seat. But everyone's created in the image of God. That is the bedrock truth of Orthodox Christianity, that every human being bears the image of God, every single human being. Yes, even that one, the one we don't want to admit, who's on the other side of whatever that barrier may be. But, but back to the story. 
In this garden that God plants Adam and Eve in, God walks with them in the cool of the day. I love that image, right? God's not far off like the other creation stories. He's right in the middle of creation with humans. And this is one of the big ideas you're going to see again and again throughout the story. That God's grand vision, His supreme passion, the very point of the story is that God wants to be with us. God wants to live in relationship with us. But love requires not that God coerces us into relationship, but that God gives us freedom to choose if we'll be in that relationship. And so we find symbolically in the story in Genesis 1-3 through that there's two trees. There's a choice that Adam and Eve have. All the trees in the garden that are available, the tree of life is there that can give them all they need. But there's this other tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I think we can all agree is too long a name for any kind of tree, right? But here's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're not supposed to eat of it, but the freedom is there and they choose to partake of a fruit of that tree. And they're banned from the garden. And we're just a few pages in, but the first six pages of the story has revealed a lot about where the rest of history is headed. I know the Bible can seem overwhelming if you hold it. If you look at the last page like I do in a novel, there's a whole lot of pages there, right? But if I can simplify it down to the essence of this story, the essence is that God wants to be with us just like he was with Adam and Eve in the garden. But once that vision or dream was lost, God is going to make it his commitment to win us back over and over again. And the rest of the story of Scripture tells us how God is on a journey to do just that. Three of these chapters, the first three chapters of Genesis, set up a conflict that the rest of the story of Scripture is going to narrate God trying to get us back, trying to resolve that conflict. And this story is going to go to some dark places, just like the darkness over creation that God orders. Let me just consider the rest of chapter one of the story. The sin of Adam and Eve gets passed on in the next generation. Their children, Cain and Abel, there's a murder that happens between brothers. And by Genesis 6, the wheels have come off. Everything has become evil. In fact, look at the top of page 8 if you have your story with you. Or, or I'm going to read from Genesis 6-5, which is that same verse. It says there, the, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is a harsh language, isn't it? God regretted that he had made human beings? It doesn't seem like the God is going to want to get us back over and over again. God's first plan is... The creation's going to work out. And after that doesn't work out, well, he tries again with Noah, who's a righteous man. Saves him on the, on the ark, right, through the midst of the flood. It's like creation 2.0. God's starting over again. And he's got a righteous man who maybe can do it right this time. But when the flood waters recede, the first thing Noah does is he sacrifices to God. He, he builds an altar. God, through that rainbow in the sky, you remember kids, the rainbow we see is a reminder to God also that that he'll never flood the earth again and destroy it in the way he has in this story. But as we keep reading in Genesis 9, which is after the story actually concludes chapter 1, we find out that the flood didn't really work. Noah gets off the boat, and yeah, he offers a sacrifice, but then he has too much to drink, and he actually ends up laying uncovered in his tent, and his son walks in. It's a shameful moment, and in the midst of the passion of this moment, Noah curses his grandson Canaan. 
In the end, sin outlasts the flood. God can't cleanse the earth of that because it's there in us, isn't it? God's plan with Noah didn't exactly work out. But it's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. So in review, what did we learn from chapter 1? Well, God creates a good world, but humans are even better. We're very good. Created in the image of God. We as humans, though, part of the story says, don't exactly follow God's commands. We, we have the freedom and we often choose poorly. We're a mess, aren't we? I mean, just look around. <laughs> We're a mess. and We need God to somehow overcome the mess that we make. But don't miss this. God isn't finished with us. He is a faithful God of steadfast, committed love. And God wants a relationship with you. Every single one of you. God wants a relationship with you, and he's going to do so many things to get us back. And that's what this story is about. It's chapter 1 through 3 sets up the conflict. It's going to take a while to resolve this story, just like it takes a while for all of us to come to a knowledge of God and to be born into his name. I want to close with prayer this morning as we close chapter 1. There's a lot here already that we've learned, but next week there's going to be another attempt God's going to make. Uh, through the story of Abraham and Isaac and what follows. And so I would encourage you to read chapter 2, preparation for next week. Let's close with a prayer this morning. God, we thank you so much for all that you've done through this story to remind us of what you've done in the past. God, this story is not done being written. There are still moments of temptation that we fail under. We wander from you, and we no longer have the relationship we once did when you walked with us in the cool of the garden. But you want us back, God. And for that, we're grateful that you don't give up on us, that you keep coming after us, that you're a God of steadfast love in the midst of our mistakes. So I pray today, God, in the midst of whatever failure we may feel like, that we would not close ourselves off from you, but we would open ourselves up again to realize that if you want us back, we want the very same thing. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Twitter. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.